0: As you do that, it's Father's Day and, and for those of you who have children, you'll know there comes a time and a day, uh, depending on how old they are, certainly as they get older, that as a dad, I know this has been the case where you have to grab them by the hand or you grab them by the face gently and you remind them of some things. That They come to a point where they feel insecure or they feel... Uh, like something's going wrong in their life and they feel like everything is falling apart. And one of the the uh, hardest things and yet the most joyful things as a dad is to, is to come alongside your daughter or your son and to remind them of how much they're loved, how much they are cared for, how much they, are, uh, they belong, that even though life might be shaking at that moment, that they have a family and a dad, certainly in my case, that thinks the world of them and loves them, and then remind them that no matter how much I love them, that they have a God, the Father, who loves them so much more. And I can't wrap my head around how God can, wrap, uh, can love my kids more than I can, and yet the promise in the Scriptures is just that. What we're going to do this morning is I want you to imagine in your minds, eye that God the Father taking us by the face very gently or taking us by the hand and reminding us some things. Because we we forget, and if you are uh, if you're a teenager or a young adult this morning, uh, if you are uh, you know still young like me, and or you're really old like other people, I want you to know that this this message is for you. That there is no point and there's no part of this message where you can you can check out. This is completely relevant to you because all of us forget, all of us. Forget who God is, how much He loves us. All of us forget how powerful He is. All of us forget who we are in Him. And, and, and this book, Isaiah, that we're going to read a passage out of in just a second, is a, a book written uh, for, a, for a, a people who have forgotten. In fact, they, they've been sent into exile. If you look at the uh, God's people, Israel, at that time, even starting with Adam and Eve, they forgot. They forgot who God was and who he had created them to be. And then uh, you have Israel wandering around the wilderness, forgetting constantly who God is, who they've been created to be, who their identity is. And then uh, eventually they get into the promised land, and they forget who they are, who God is, what their identity is. And now eventually they get exiled, and the prophet Isaiah is giving the word of the Lord to this group, a a forgetful people. And this whole book is essentially God holding these people by the face lovingly getting their attention and saying, you are loved, you are mine, this is who I am, this is who you are, and this is how it's going to be. And so that's the message for this morning as we come to Father's Day, is I wanted to give you a reminder of who God the Father thinks you are and who He is. In fact, there's two sections to this sermon. This, this week is the first part, next week we're going to do the second part of Isaiah 55, but we're called to remember our true identity. Let's just read the first few verses in Isaiah 55, verse 1. And and I've highlighted, and I hope it comes up on the screen, certain words that I want you to take notice of as we go through. It says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a, a leader and a commander for the peoples, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on Him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon See, we forget who we are and what we have been given. We forget our identity. Now, I'm very fortunate, not only am I a card-holding, carrying Mennonite now, uh, I was actually born in Britain, as many of you know, but I'm also, so I'm a citizen of Great Britain, but I'm also now a citizen of Canada and I'm very proud to be Canadian, I'm very proud to be British, but I spent my first 30 years in Britain. There's certain... British identity that is in me that I know that for the rest of my life, I'm going to carry, whether I like it or not. And whether you like it or not. It's who I am. It's my identity. It it causes me to respond and act in certain ways. And there are certain idiosyncrasies of being British that I was reflecting on. This morning, and my British friends in the congregation will know this. And if and if you've been around me long enough, you'll recognise some of these things as well. For example, at the end of a phone call, it's almost impossible for a British person to say goodbye. It, it, it well. There it was nice chat with you. Nice chat with you too. So we'll, we'll see you soon. See you soon. Okay. And it's and it's and it's bye. Okay. Bye bye then. Bye bye. And then this is what happens. And you listen to some British people. They will do this. And I've worked hard not to do this. They kind of, no matter how manly and deep a voice a British person might have, at the end of a phone call, they'll go, bye. And they'll go, "Mm," and then they put the phone down. So I'm challenging you, Canadian friends, there are British people in the congregation, give them a call and listen to how they say goodbye. And I will give you a 99% guarantee they'll go, bye. And up at the end. It's true, I'm not looking at anybody, but I know there's somebody in the congregation who definitely does that. The other thing British people are not good at is small talk. We're horrible at it, so. Lots of weather we're having recently. See the price of cheese has gone up. Yeah, anyway, okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye then, bye, bye. We're odd people. We don't like saying pardon more than once. So if we can't hear you, and this is a problem for me, if, I, if we can't hear you, we we'll say pardon. But then if we can't hear you again, it's, we can't say pardon again because we'd rather look like an idiot and try and pretend we heard what you said because that's being British. We don't want to say pardon more than once and then, then the ultimate one is not admitting. I think Canadians are like this as well, when you can't remember somebody's name. We haven't got the forceful nature to kind of go, what's your name again? I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. We'll just make it up, which is why we call everybody mate. Man, woman, doesn't matter. How are you doing, mate? Because that means I've forgotten your name. Now, I've taken a risk here because I know every time I say mate now, you're going to assume that I've forgotten your name. And that's not necessarily true. But there's certain forms of my identity that show itself. And let me tell you, I want to suggest to you that if you struggle with worry or anger or frustration in your life, it's not because of other things, it's because you have forgotten who you are, your identity, who you anchor your identity in or what you anchor your identity informs how you react, how you respond, how how you speak, who you hang out with, what you focus on, every aspect of your life. It will show itself in just the same way my Britishness will show itself. You have an accent on your life, just like I have a British accent. There's an accent on your life that gives away where you think your identity is. And so what God is doing with the Israelites, He's saying, look, this is your identity. You have forgotten some things. The first thing He says, verse 1, is this. Everyone is thirsty. Here are some of the reminders that God wants to tell us this morning. The first one is, everyone is thirsty. And I want you to think about these points through the frame of reference of how it informs your identity, who you are. Everyone is thirsty. Verse 1, come, everyone who thirsts. So I'm going to make a statement and I'm going to prove it to you, I hope. God has built spiritual hunger into the heart of every human being. God has built spiritual hunger into the heart of every being human being and it shows itself all the time and it causes us to reach. So young people, I want you to listen to this because there is a very consistent lie constantly whispered into your ear through the culture that we live in. I want you to listen to this point. This is very, very pertinent to you. Every human being I believe, and I can show you how I know, is reaching for something. There's a spiritual hunger. We're reaching for hope. We're reaching for meaning. We're reaching for security. We're reaching for a life with Purpose, we're reaching for attention, we're reaching for recognition, for position, for power, for possessions, whatever it might be. Every human being is reaching for something. Why? It's because we have a hunger that is inside of us that we're trying to see fulfilled in this creation that is surrounding us. We're hardwired with a desire for God. There's a beautiful scripture, write it down, Ecclesiastes 3.11. It's a great refrigerator scripture. Slap it on there and look at it every time you go and gorge yourself. It says this, everybody has eternity in their heart. Everyone. You are created to resonate with eternity. You are created to live for God, to serve Him, to enjoy Him, to find peace in him, to find rest and satisfaction in him. And so Christians, when we do not do those things, there's something inside of us that gets out a joint. We're Like, it's just, this isn't, I'm not feeling the way I know I ought to feel. Because we know that we've been created for so much more. Everyone is spiritually hungry. Everyone is reaching. Now this can be a good or a bad thing. It's a good thing, this reach, this desire, this hunger, because it's actually been placed in us so that we would seek God out. That's the good thing. The dangerous, the bad thing that it results in is that we can also reach out and eat and look for things that ultimately will kill us. So either we go for the good, the God, or we go for that which kills us. That seems awfully dramatic, so let me explain. In Romans 1, it talks about a present wrath and a wrath to come. In some way, it's easy to prove in Scripture that hell has started for many people while they're still alive. There's a giving over, the Scripture says, of of the evil desire. It's like living in hell now. It's like death has begun. And this death is rooted in that which you are reaching for and what you want to eat. Or the hunger can result in reaching for God who is the author of life. So we have this this choice. We can either reach for the good or we can reach for the death. And the reaching for the death results in fatigue and irritability and anger and frustration and and, self-centeredness and a heart position that results in you using people to get what you want out of life. That is all signs of reaching for something. So how do I know we've all been created this way? Look at the world. The world's fingerprint shows that every one of us is reaching for something, and then you look at the heart position of the world, you look at the selfishness of the world, you look at the, uh, the desires of the world, and you start seeing we're all reaching for something, we're all hungering for something. So point one, we're all thirsty. Point two, that results in us asking this question, so what is it we're reaching for? What are we eating? What are we choosing to go after? There's two choices, Isaiah tells us. Before we get to that, I just want to read a scripture from Genesis 25 and verse 29. It's not on on this screen. Genesis 25, 29. You can write that down if you're taking notes. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, his brother, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Verse 31, Jacob replied, First... Sell me your birthright. This is a really fascinating story and one that we've probably read many, many times. But essentially, what you've got here is two brothers with two different agendas. And the focus with this one is Esau coming to Jacob, his brother, and he's hungry and he wants some stew. So much so that he is willing to sell his, uh, his birthright, which is everything for a young man at that time. He's willing to give up his birthright so he can have the temporary pleasure of this stew. One of the many things, talking about Britain at the beginning, that I, that I miss about Britain, and I have uh, had a conversation about it this week, actually, it was interesting, is um, fish and chips. Because, and I've said this before, just fish and chips are just the most amazing thing about Britain, in my con- no, no, that's not fair. I'll take that back. No, I no. It's hard for me because you now part of me is like, there's lots of great things about Great Britain. I love it. One of them is fish and chips, and it's horribly bad for you, like really, really bad. So then I started thinking about the national food of Canada, and I, I thought it's poutine. If you actually look at what the meaning of poutine is, it, it means, like, sloppy mess. And you look at it and you go, yeah. It's, it looks actually like it says. It's it's uh, It's poo-teen. It's poo in a tin. It, it's disgusting. And, and I know some of you are going to get very... And I'm Canadian, so don't give me a hard time. Don't judge me. I look at this. It smells like... Oh, oh, it's awful. And yet Canadians get very passionate about what is essentially... Like heartache in a tin, isn't it? And, it, and, it's, and it's everything smells good, I'm sure. Like it, fish and chips smells good to me, and, and I look at it and I go, oh, it, sounds, it smells so good. And you reach for it, and what's the result? I think if I ate that poutine, it's going to leave me feeling regretful, just like I do with fish and chips. If I go back to Britain now, if I have a big bag of fish and chips, I feel awful. Before, I could cope with it. I built up a resistance, I guess. But now, it's disgusting. And we were talking about this this week, and I can't remember who it was with. But I was saying that it gets worse in Scotland, where my wife is from. They will actually deep-fry, like they do with fish and chips, pizza. They will throw a pizza in and deep-fry it. Think about that for a second. It gets worse. Mars bars... They will deep fry Mars bars, the Scots. No wonder, no wonder they want to separate themselves. I just think it's, it's crazy. So, why, why am I sharing all this? So here's the reality Esau literally gave up his birthright for the temporary satisfaction of some red stew. Because at that moment, this red stew smelt good, he was hungry. That word, he was hungry and he wanted that satisfied. He wanted that satisfaction. So much so, he was giving up the very thing, listen, the very thing that he was born for. He was willing to give up for the temporary satisfaction of the taste of that stew. He reached for it and he ate it. So in verse 1, when Isaiah says this, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then later on he talks about the food being rich. He says, this is your birthright. This is the food for which you have been created to eat. This is your right to eat upon the beauty of God, to have the fulfillment of God, the purpose of God, the the joy of God, the hope of God living in your life. It's your birthright. It's free. Come. You don't need food. You don't need money. You don't need to work for it. It's by grace. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's yours because Jesus died on the cross to give it to you. And what do we do? We reach for the poutine. We reach for the stew. We reach for the temporary satisfaction that the world has to offer because the whisper, young people, is that which you think, this poutine, this temporary thing that the world says, this is the answer. If you could just get this, then you will have everything that you want. Look how good it smells. Look how good you'll look. Look how popular you'll be. Look how... Uh, much money you'll have. Look, think about all the dreams that you'll have fulfilled. Look, doesn't it smell good? Have this. Give up your birthright. Give it up. Because the option is either we gorge ourselves on this beautiful, free grace given to us by God, or we reach for the fake food. Verse 2, why? Why? Do you spend, is this not a picture of our world? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? We have a culture and it's not just young people. It's not just young adults. It's not just people with families. and It's not just our seniors. It's our whole culture that inclines its ear to the lie that says the truth and the hope is found in the poutine it's found in the red stew it's found in the temporary it's found in that which this world promises will be the answer and yet it's empty it says why are you spending your money on something that's not even bread it's not going to take your hunger away it's not going to satisfy you? You think it will? Esau in that moment said, this is what I need, more than anything. Do you think he regretted that? Do you think that you thought, oh, what was I thinking? Why did I give up my birthright for such a temporary thing that smelled good, tastes good? And it ended up just being totally dissatisfying and empty. It's a dangerous lie. Listen to me, it's a, young people, it's a dangerous lie that you think. Uh, sorry, that it's being told to you that true life can be found in anything outside of that which you were created for, which is God. That The ultimate satisfaction. And people who are atheists, people who are the top of their fields in science, people who are some of the world's most renowned philosophers, I could give you quote after quote after quote that people saying that there is this desire, there is this hunger, and it cannot be found in the world. So, what's the point? God says the point is, why don't you partake of the birthright that you have been created for and you will find all that which you hunger for. See, we reach, have you ever wondered why we reach for the created stuff? Why do we reach for this stuff thinking that that's where our answer's gonna be? I wonder whether everything, I wonder whether it's because that everything that's been created in some way has a fingerprint, and echo of the divine in it. I wonder there, there's just, because everything around here, is common grace that we've been given to enjoy everything that we have in our world. Do you think it's attractive because underneath it all, we sense that God is actually at the root of it? But it's been twisted and broken, but we still reach for it. So you bring God back into the equation, that which you are reaching for, those beautiful, God I'm not saying you have to give up all those things. You can go and you can earn good money. You can have a nice house. You have a beautiful family. You can dress well and be fit and get a 12-pack. You can have all those things, but if you place God out of it, it will still decay and it will still kill you. You place God into it, then now you can look at that which was created through the lens of the divine, and that which was you think is beautiful just gets mind-blowingly good. Take sex. Sex is a good and godly thing that somehow the church over the years has made evil. It's a gift. You take God out of it, it kills you. It decays your heart. From partner to partner to partner to partner, you slowly decay and die. And if you don't believe me, you can talk to people in here who work with people or have had relationship with people who have done that. And the world says, this is the answer, this is the answer. No, no, it's going to kill you. You place God into it. Then that which was good suddenly becomes beautiful. You place that into a marriage. You place that into a godly setting. You think it's good now? So, that which you are reaching for is just an echo of the divine. If you could honestly say today, if only I had fill in the blank, my life would be fill in the blank. I wonder how you would fill those blanks in. If I could just have this, then I could have that. How would you fill that in? If I could just be in a relationship, if I could just be a bit better looking, if I could just be a little thinner, if I could just have some more money, if I could be in business, if I could have this person, or if I could be out of this relationship, if I could, if I could, if I could have any of these things, then I will truly find my fulfillment. It's a lie. It's a lie. Because listen, in verse 2, in the second part, it says, Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourself in not just any old food, rich food. I'm tired of this hearing about superfoods. You need to eat more superfoods. And one I see a lot is kale As my, uh, one of my favorite comedians said, kale su- is a superfood and its superpower is not tasting super good. It's like eating bitter spinach that's hairy. And we talk about how wonderful this is. I'm talking about superfood, rich food that tastes good. Like, why can't it be that stuff that's good for us tastes like chocolate? Why is it on Father's Day we get trail mix? Why can't we have chocolate? <laughs> God's saying you don't have to give up the richness. It'll actually get more rich. I pray through this statement. And I especially, I've mentioned young and young adults a lot today. But let, let me tell you, maybe this is just a prophetic statement or a prophetic question over you. Why make yourself so small to believe that anything found in creation can satisfy the eternity in your heart? Why are you making yourself so small? You were created for the infinite. Why are you looking for the finite and temporary to satisfy this eternity in your heart? It's a lie. Listen diligently to me, God says. You were created for infinity, so why make yourself so small, reaching for the fleeting? Don't reach for the poutine, reach for the rich food that he offers. Your birthright if you're a Christian. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. A nation that that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel for He has glorified you. Where does this good, rich food come from? It comes from Jesus. And Paul mentions this whole passage in Acts 13 in reference to Jesus. And in Jesus, this rich food is found. In His grace, the gospel comes to you as an offer. This This is for which you were created for. This is your birthright if you like don't choose this choose jesus so this forces me to ask a loving question what is it you are choosing friends young or old is it jesus or is it the stew is it jesus or is it the temporary satisfaction and you might quickly go oh it's jesus i'm here aren't i church so let me change the question just a little bit when life slams into your soul and takes your breath away what is it that you choose When everything that you seem to hold dear is taken away and decays, who is it that you choose? What is it you choose? When your heart is disappointed and you feel let down, what is it that you choose? What do you reach for? What do you look for when you've been rejected, when you feel exhausted, when you feel desperate? And if you haven't felt those things, then I can prophetically say to you, you will. You will. When you're tempted and you're pulled beyond what you feel you can cope with, what is it that you reach for? Is it Jesus? Because it's one thing to say that we reach for Jesus. It's another thing to actually reach for Jesus. So where is it that you go? To whom do you run? What is it that you reach for? Is it that you're reaching for some way into fashion or popularity or fitness or the TV? Do you switch the internet on late at night because you are reaching for some satisfaction? Is it social media? Is it food? Is it drink? Is it people? Is it relationships? Is it shopping? Is it isolation? Is it making money? What is it that you are reaching for, finding in those moments when it gets desperate? Literally, are you asking social media to be your personal saviour? Are you asking that bag of chips to be your personal saviour? Are you asking that relationship with that person to be your personal saviour? We do a lot of pre-marriage counseling, Sarah and I, and one of the things that I say, to some shock, I must admit, sometimes with young people, is they will let you down. They will disappoint you. Sometimes it'll be really, really hard, and you'll think, what did I do? And if you place all the emphasis on them somehow being your savior to make you feel better, then you are putting too much responsibility on them, and they will break you you place that upon Jesus, you reach for Jesus, not just on a Sunday morning, but on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday and Friday and all the way through the week? Or have you constructed life in such a way where God is just an activity that you place on when you find time in the midst of all the other activities? Do you just place him on? Because I promise you, if that is your testimony, if that is your story, that when life does slam into your soul, you won't reach for Jesus until it gets so desperate and he will allow you to get desperate so that you reach for him see we forget we forget what the cross actually means that the cross means that Jesus died on that cross your sin and shame with it and then he gives you newness of life a new identity you are his so we're told to come in faith. In fact, there are four verbs. I want to show you quickly. You can just put them all on the screen for me. There's, there's four verbs. Come, buy, eat, be satisfied. There's these things you need to do. Come, come. Why are you waiting? Come and enjoy this. This is free. All of these verbs speak to a commitment. You're buying in. You are, I'm, I'm here. I, I am not going anywhere else. Do you come and position yourself near Him on a daily basis? Do you come to church or your community group on a regular basis? Do you surround yourself with His people? Do you love what Jesus loves? Are you committed? You're in. Do you walk worthy? So let me help you. It's very simple. Part of being in... Is identifying. I've said this many times from this pulpit, identifying those things in your life that draw you away from Jesus and don't do them. It's quite deep. Identify those things in your life that draw you to Jesus and do them. If we came, bought, found satisfaction in just that alone, then you would find that we would reach for Jesus. We can resist the lies that say spiritual life, life in its fullest sense can be found outside of Jesus. That's a lie. So let me finish with this. One of my favorite plagues, if you can have a favorite plague, I've never really thought about that. There's a good conversation starter. What's your favorite plague? It was was Frogs. I love everything about that plague, because the picture it kind of creates in my mind, I'm a very visual person, and so I think about these frogs, and I did some research and found that frogs in Egypt can get up to four foot long, they're called Goliath frogs, and it says, you read the scriptures, it says there was frogs everywhere, in their kneading bowls, in their ovens, microwaves, I'm stretching the story a bit, but they were everywhere, ribbit, you, know, you wake up in the morning, there's a frog there, it's gross, everywhere, And and Pharaoh is given the choice by Moses when to have these frogs taken away. Read the scripture. It's a fascinating thing. I will give you the honor, Pharaoh, of telling me when you want rid of the frogs, that are everywhere. When you brush your teeth, there's a frog. It's everywhere. And what does Pharaoh say? Tomorrow. Thank you. Take them away tomorrow. Why not now? You see... It says in verse six, Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. There's an urgency in Isaiah's declaration, because we do not know what tomorrow will bring. I've never been one of those preachers that says, If you don't come to Christ, you know you might go out there and get hit by a bus. I I don't like that style of preaching, but there's an element of truth in it that's this, that we think we're in control when the reality is that we're not. And suddenly life will remind us of that. And so the scripture says, Isaiah says, Seek the Lord now. Respond immediately. Not tomorrow, Pharaoh. Now. Let's align ourselves with reaching for Christ now. Not when I'm 20. Not when I finish university. Not when I get married. Not when I find that different job. Not when I move. Not when I do this. Not when I... Now. Because you do not know. I was reminded when I was working at Pacific Academy on the Lower Mainland. Um, Young man, uh, grade 12, uh, athlete, academic, good-looking guy. He was everything that all the other guys wouldn't want to admit to being jealous of. They, They wanted to be this young man, and Sarah will remember this situation. It was in, like, the second year of my being there. He went to bed, and he didn't wake up um I don't know whether he knows Jesus or not. I, it's not for me to say I didn't know him well at all, but it reminded me, and I've had the experience many times since then, we can think of friends in our community where that's happened. Life is a very fragile thing. And I never want the gospel to be that if you don't, then this will happen. But I know that there will come a day when I stand before the Lord and he will hold me accountable as to whether I told the truth. And the truth is this. We do not know what tomorrow brings. And so in verse 7, Isaiah gives us our instruction. He says this. Let the wicked forsake his or her way. And the unrighteous man or woman, his or her thoughts, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon See, he has spent all the time saying, this is how incredible this gift is on this Father's Day. So here's what you need to do to receive it. There has to be a turn of behavior. You can read it. There's a turn of behavior in those words. Do this. Repent. You see, repentance is this definitive change in heart that leads to a change of direction in life. It's not just, oh, sorry about that, garden. when can I schedule it in next time to do it again? It's an actual, I do not want to do this anymore. It's a daily call upon the Christian's life to daily confess. Because if, this is hard to hear, but it's true, if we have got to the place where we're no longer feeling the conviction of our sins, it's because we've grown comfortable with the sin. If we're not in a place where you are daily confessing the things that we are doing wrong, then it's likely that we're just grown to ignore it. See, this is a daily call because sin still exists. Every day I come to Jesus. Every day, again and again and again and again. Confession and repentance is not a one-time thing that happened 20 years ago at camp when you threw a stick into the fire and said, now I believe in Jesus. That hurt a little bit, sorry. But it's more than that. It's a daily position. Lord, change me. Change me. Let it be that I find deep satisfaction in you more than the sweet smell of this culture. Forgive me for chasing after that which ultimately will leave me empty. Forgive me, Lord. So no matter how well you can interpret the scriptures or how much money you place in the offering or how much you participate in ministry or what missions trips you've been on or anything like it doesn't matter that the call of Christ is ultimately to come and come and come to him and say forgive me that's why it says pick up your cross and daily follow after me and I know that I do not repent enough I grow comfortable with things you know that time when you know or you know the times when you eat so healthily that you do actually eat something unhealthy it makes you feel sick. Spiritually that's the case. You fill your life with Christ. There'll come a point when you just cannot the thought of it, of that sin actually makes you feel sick. But if gorging on the sin is no longer making you feel sick, then there's a point of repentance. So what are you reaching for this morning? On this Father's Day, the greatest gift I can give you is to remind you what the Father thinks of you, remind you of the gift that he's offering you, and to ask the question, what is it you are reaching for this morning? And then to encourage you, come and eat that which you do not have to pay for, that which you don't deserve. Where do you run? Don't wait. Don't make it tomorrow. Don't make it next week. Don't make it in a few years when you've figured things out. You won't figure things out. Let's ignore the sweet smell and actually turn our attention upon the sweetest, most rich fragrance that this life has to offer. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that I, in some way, have done justice to your word. Lord, I pray that as...